Glass Chat, episode 142, Hugh Glass. What's up, buddy? How are you, sir? I'm doing good today. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm gr- Actually, I'm great. You know, sun shining. It's a nice day, and yeah, no complaints. Definitely. Yeah, it's going to be a hot day here, but it's been a good one so far. Well, so, uh, you know, based on our previous chat, which was not necessarily about you, but about a different event or a different thing that you're you're allocating some energy to, but uh, <laughs> you're in Eugene, right? Yes, I'm in Eugene, Oregon. So it, it's it's hard for me to uh, it's hard for me to I guess fully comprehend that when you when you or people like that live in that area say that it's going to be really hot, my my mind is just like really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's actually one of the reasons why I live here is um, it'll be maybe ninety ninety five at the most today, which is super hot for us, and that's one of the reasons I like living here. Is originally I grew up in Chicago, okay. and the weather is just hor- the weather's just horrible in Chicago. So, I, I, so here when it's we don't have any humidity in the summertime, um, so it's it's a nice place to live. And so weather wise, it's a great place to be as far as being able to blow glass and just have a lifestyle that isn't overheated or super cold in the wintertime. So. Yeah, so you can fully, uh, well, you can definitely, you know, grasp 90% of what St. Louis feels like in the summertime. You, 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 kind of know, <laughs> you, you know that vibe of being next to the Mississippi and... Oh, yeah. That, yeah, no, I... Uh, I have fond memories when my parents bought an air conditioner when I was a kid. It changed my life big time. It was like one of the milestones in my life, I remember. Yeah, no longer sweating your ass off trying to sleep. <laughs> yeah, and here I live on top of a, a, what you guys would call a mountain, but it's just a big-ass hill. And um, I don't have any air conditioning, actually, because it gets cool enough in the night every night that you just open the doors and windows and your air conditioner right there. So. Uh, do you have uh again, it's, it's kind of off topic, but do you have a, I think, what's it called? Are they called swamp coolers, right? Where they pull yeah. moisture. Do you have one of those? No, I don't. Um, because it does get cold here almost every night. Like, okay. like it's, it's 60 right now. Um, every night it gets down to the fifties and sixties. And so you just end up becoming more of a vampire a little bit in the summertime or just get your work done early. As I've gotten older, I wake up earlier and earlier. So it's just easier for me to do it. And even when I first started, I used to be able to get my work done by noon and then you can go down to the river and go swimming or do whatever you want to do, which is kind of a freeing lifestyle. And that's one of the reasons I've stuck with glass for as long as I have is because it's allowed me to live a lifestyle that is is pretty nice as far as things go i mean never a lot of money or anything like that but the freedom to be able to do what you want when you want to do it as long as you get your work done there is immense amount of value and i would i mean some people might not agree with me but i'll I'll use this word of wealth there there's a lot of value in wealth in uh having control you know like you said hey man get up and get up early get your shit done and then that way by you know one two o'clock you have the day and right now if you're not a morning person like you know i know many people <laughs> in this industry aren't it's still right. it still gives you the ability to say hey okay then don't get up early get up when you want <laughs> and do what you want when you want and I, man it's it really is uh it's it's a beautiful thing yeah, where I work, there's about 20 glass blowers that work in the same complex. Um, and uh, some of them come in around 11 or midnight in the summertime, and some come there early. And yeah, I've always been better. I've always had a clear head in the morning, personally. So it makes things a little bit easier. By the time midnight rolls around, I'm pretty much ready for bed. Um, but I don't know, everybody's got a different lifestyle. And that's one of the nice things about this. Like I said, with the glass, you can afford to do kind of what you want as long as you're getting your bills paid. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, you kind of answered one of my questions. That's where you're from. Uh, so born in Chicago area and now in Eugene. Uh, if you don't mind me asking this just for context, uh, how old are you present day? <laughs> I am 51 years old. I was born in 1970. And um, I actually got out here kind of an interesting way that doesn't really exist anymore. But when I was a teenager, um, I always liked the counterculture and I always liked to smoke and do things like that. So I got involved with uh, Grateful Dead and, and touring with the Grateful Dead in the late 80s. And it ended up getting me to move out here and to actually get the job that I have and, and the lifestyle I have pretty much and changed my world a hundred percent from what I was doing growing up in Chicago, which is kind of nice. And, um, it got me to move out to Eugene back then on dead tour. There was three fabled cities that everybody said were really cool to live in. And that was Eugene, Oregon, Boulder, Colorado, and Santa Cruz, California. And I went and checked out Boulder and it was getting a little weird. It was getting a little bit, what I called at the time, yuppified or just money started flowing in there. So it wasn't the same mellow hippie vibe. Went to Santa Cruz and people there were just more interested in living in bushes or whatever they wanted to do with their <laughs> ultimate hippie lifestyle. And coming from a city, I was like, I want a roof over my head. And so I came to Eugene and rent was cheap. People are really nice. Um, everything was just the way I wanted it to be. It really aided to my lifestyle quite a bit. So Eugene is where I chose and everything just kind of came my way after that. So, so then, uh, so let me kind of just, so my own head gets this right. So you moved to Eugene. How old were you? I was, uh, 19. Okay. When I moved to Eugene. Uh, so at 19, had glass already shown up in your life yet already, or had it not really showed up for you uh, yet? No, it did actually. Um, I, because I kind of developed young and was a counterculture type of person, I've been a smoker since I was a young teenager. And so glass was always one of the things that I really liked to smoke out of. And so on Grateful Dead tour, I met this gentleman in 1988 named Bob Snodgrass. And he was the only person I'd ever seen or knew that actually blew glass that was for smoking. And so I instantly um, wanted to get to know this guy and he was a super nice guy. And I, and he was about 15 years. And I 20 years older than me and um actually it's a little bit more than that now whatever um, about 25 years older than me and um i would just have him set up and do stuff in uh, 1989 i hung out with him quite a bit on tour and being on tour we'd all be together for a certain amount of months and then be off and be in some other state and doing something and come back together and kind of parking lot relationship sort of stuff which is interesting but um in 1990 his bob's daughter wanted to go to school from the fall into the spring on regular school year instead of being dragged out of school halfway through the year going and doing Grateful Dead tour and then put in a new school. So I had moved to Eugene in the, in the, in 80, in the December 20th, 89 to be exact. I don't know why I remember that date, but, um, so, and so I, at the time offered them some, uh, uh, hospitality as far as having a place to stay or some money or something like that. And, um, they ended up uh, moving to Eugene in the summer of 90. Um, so they could put their daughter into school that year. And, um, I just, at the time, because he was a friend of mine, I started hanging out with him. I wanted to do some stuff that was a little bit different than what we were doing on Grateful Dead tour. Cause I was young and could have gotten myself into a lot of trouble. And I had a lot of friends who got themselves into a lot of trouble and I didn't want to go that route. So I figured blowing glass was a lot safer and it was a lot of fun and nobody else was doing it at the time. So it, it, again, coming from a hippie background, I could have done hair wraps. I could have done, uh, uh 
uh, crystal wrapping like they do today or all sorts of different hippie stuff, but none of it paid worth a damn. And also you couldn't smoke out of it. So it was kind of a win-win. And so I actually never asked Bob to apprentice him. I would just go get him to the point where he couldn't think real straight. <laughs> and uh, I'd be like, can I play on the torch? And he'd be like, sure, not a problem. And, um, and eventually that turned into me learning how to blow glass. And actually when I first started, it was in Bob's house on his national hand torch. And um, when I'd have questions, sometimes he'd answer them. Sometimes he'd say, read the book, read the book. And at the time, the book was called Glass Blowing by Homer Hoyt, um, who was a guy who founded Glasscraft in Colorado a long time ago. He's long past now. But that was the book that we kind of had as our first the book is you know a glass blowing bible to a certain extent since then there's been many other books that are much better but um yeah and i just kind of pestered him until about a year later i was able to go on my own and have my own business so i started my own business as far as glass goes in 1991 and it was called hugh glass instead of hugh salkheim my name's hugh salkheim but being that we were making something that was illegal at the time he wanted to use a name that was a little different. They call them glass names nowadays. And so everybody's got a unique glass name. Luckily, I was born with a pretty unique first name. So I've always been able to stick with it. And glass is a pretty easy last name. So, yeah. And that's why I've always known the difference in my business. And back in the day, it used to be a difference between people who knew me professionally and people who knew me personally was whether which last name that they used. So let me, uh, this question, I think you kind of answered it, but I'm just curious. Um, sure. So since since basically you started your journey in 89 and 90, and that's when you really started to evolve, has glass been the sole, you know, source of income from you? Has it, has it been the sole career that you, or profession or job that you've had? Like, have you ever gotten to a point where, ah, money sucks, I got to go do this for a little while? Or has it literally just been glass? Um, it's been a couple of different things, but it's literally been glass the whole time. It's just some years I made, a bunch of glass in some years I didn't make very much glass, but because I started at such a young age at a certain point in my life, I kind of wanted to see if I could actually hold a real job and do things like normal people. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> I ended up first in, um, the 2000 selling glass tools for Bob. Um, and Bob had a little bit of a tool company at the time. And so I, that was uh, my first foray into something besides glass, but it was glass related. And then after that, in, uh, about 2002, I ended up uh, walking into a friend of mine's head shop and asking them if I could do counter sales. And they kind of looked at me like, you're a glass guy. Why do you want to do counter sales? And I explained to him how on Grateful Dead Tour, you had to sell your own glass, let alone just make it. You had to actually sell it. And so I missed the selling part of it because by 2000, I'd already gotten popular enough where I didn't need to go out and push my glass on strangers necessarily. Um, and, uh, and so I, I ran a head shop for a year, but even when I ran the head shop, I still made 10 to 15 pieces a year sort of thing. So I never gave up the glass. And then after doing that for a while, uh, and actually I went through the whole 2003 bus thing through that store, unfortunately, or fortunately, it taught me some things. Um, but uh, it actually got me to where I was a manager of the store after that all went down. So it had some positives for me a little bit. And um, I realized that... Um, it was just not for me. The glass was the easier way to go, more satisfying. And when you're done, instead of just having a number uh, in your bank account that you actually have 
people who have pieces of you that you, that you, you know, pieces of what you created that they enjoy, which is a lot more of a legacy than just working behind the counter somewhere personally. But so I have tried other things in my life, but I keep coming back to glass. And I originally started glass, like I said, just to do something until I could figure out what to do as an adult. And it has just gotten better and better every year. So I guess I kind of know at this point what I'm doing as an adult, <laughs> even though I don't feel like an adult. Well, so then my, my, I guess, smart ass comment would be, have you figured out yet what you're going to do as an adult? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. But like I said, everything's come my way. I actually have a salary job now. I have to do Zoom meetings. And so I'm grown up, but I'm still a kid at heart. That's for sure. Good for you, man. I'm happy to hear that. Good for you. Yeah. I know you've I know you've you've been at this a really long time and obviously there's some things that you won't remember there are going to be some things that you really do remember. Uh so out of the things that you know really stand out for you what are some of the uh, uh you know things that have most influenced basically the skills that you have today and the way that you have you know evolved and now how you create art today? Um, a lot of it is doing what I've wanted to do and try to sell those ideas to other people instead of trying to do what other people have wanted me to do. Um, it used to be where people would want a custom piece. Maybe they wanted something that looked like a dog or something like that. And at one time in my life, I was like, Oh, I'm going to try really hard to make this person happy by making this dog. And then I can't make dogs worth crap. So I was just like, okay, that's not for me. Why don't I make a beautiful pipe that I like quite a bit and have somebody find someone who enjoys that. So there's been a lot of just kind of stick into my own ideas and um, getting influences from other people and that's why I like hanging around other glass floors is there's a, always a lot of influences out there from other people. There's a kind of a famous statement that I, that I come back to and I'm not even sure where it originally came from but all artists steal, just bad ones get caught. So everything around you influences you at all times and so the more things that you could be around, the more influences you have and I really like the community that I'm with and I really enjoy being around other glass floors quite a bit and to the point where it actually, I I've been married for 26 years and it actually annoys my wife that I talk so much about glass that she just kind of hears it as the peanuts, you know, wah, 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 <laughs> yeah, wah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure she's probably heard some of the stories probably a thousand times over too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, but it's, it's been, uh, it's been fun. I mean, I wouldn't trade it for anything and, um, it's, it, I, I've gotten to influence a lot of people myself that have come back and said, you know, how it's changed their life and how they've done. And that's always been one of my big things is I like to make other people happy. Uh, everybody has different uh, motivations in life. And mine has always been to see a smile on somebody else's face. And if you can make a smile with something that you can make out of your own two hands, you got the game one almost right there. So that's kind of what I've stuck with. And then as life goes on, you get different challenges and different things that come your way. And, and I teach, um, I've been teaching glass, uh, teaching people how to blow glass for almost 20 years now, and um, that's part of giving back to the community. Teachers don't make money at all; they barely get paid for their time. But to see that your legacy lives on through other people is pretty awesome, and to, to be able to affect other people's lives is a pretty cool thing. So, now for you, yeah. you as an individual, you as an artist, obviously. Uh, I think if I said who are some of your biggest influencers, Bob would be probably at the top of that. Uh, aside from Bob, who would be some of the other people that, you know, yeah, have, have directly helped shape Hugh Glass? <laughs> 
Okay. Well, uh, of course, Bob was number one. And, um, and actually I didn't even realize that I had a style. What I did is I learned from Bob and I started making the pieces that he made, but made them in the way that I thought they would be a little bit better because everybody could see improvement in what they're doing. And, um, I didn't realize it until I could see a piece of mine from across the room and know that it was mine that I had my own style. So that was part of it. Um, uh, a big influence of it was, you know, just doing what I, admired from other people until it became my own and then actually in 92 um at a, a a festival here in oregon called the oregon country fair and if you're not familiar with the oregon country fair i highly suggest you look it up and check out what it is it is not a state fair it is not a fair of any sort it is a hippie fest that is pretty awesome and in 92 i met this gentleman named dan keeling and dan keeling was a young glass blower who was from north of here to about 40 minutes a place called corvallis and he went to see community college out on the east coast and learn how to blow glass scientific glass professionally through the school's only uh, as a program in the country at the time that taught scientific glass blowing is a two-year associates program and um so i met him in 92 and he was looking for me it was kind of a serendipitous moment um where i there was this kid standing there i was like what are you doing and he's like i'm waiting for this guy named hugh who's a glass blower blah 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 I let him talk about 10 minutes about me before i was like hey that's me <laughs> and um because because he went to scientific school, he taught me everything that he knew about scientific stuff, which opened my world up quite a bit and opened everybody else's. A lot of people don't know about Dan Keeling. He's no longer around, but um, he really influenced our society, our glass blowing community to do a lot of what we do. Before him, I never knew about heavy wall tubing or I never knew about bigger torches. That's like I said, I started with Bob on his national hand torch and we didn't even know that there was bigger torches until Dan came around and ended up putting torches in our own hands. And so he influenced me and the whole glass blowing community quite a bit, even though a lot of people don't know about him because he ended up kind of not being the happiest person in the world, which ha ends up happening. Um, and, uh, and so he highly influenced me through the nineties and introduced me to the larger world of glass to a certain extent. And so, um, in 2000, I, okay, 93, I moved up to Portland, um, uh, because Eugene was getting a little bit weird at the time. And I moved back in, uh, uh, 2000 to Eugene to sell uh, tools for Bob, but also to go to what was called a Eugene glass school. And the Eugene glass school was, was a nonprofit organization that had all sorts of di disciplines of glass going on. And so I, being able to go there and be able to help and participate um, there at the school, I learned all sorts of different glass things, learned about fusing, learned about soft glass, learned about hot shop stuff, um, all sorts of different disciplines. And so it also got me into teaching. And um, so there I got a lot of other influences. And um, one of the people I was able to work with was a lady named Sue Ellen Fowler. And she's a lady who I work with now quite a bit or as much as I possibly can. And um, I've been her teaching TA and co-teacher since 2010. And she asked me if I wanted a TA for her at a place called Corning, a museum of glass at the studio there. And it had just happened that a year before then I'd gone to Corning for what was called a gas conference, um, glass uh, art society conference. And I had seen Corning for the first time since I was actually just a wee little kid and it was like wow this is really really cool and then a year later I'm being asked to TA for someone at that studio so it's just kind of another serendipitous moment and me and Sue Ellen yeah we get along really well and we still do and um, yeah I'll be seeing her probably in a couple of weeks so um, that has really been a huge influence in me in my life too and also every 
kid who has been somewhat nice, who has blown good glass, I've taken some influence from them. And there are definitely some rock stars out there, but it's, I, I don't know if I want to start mentioning names. So that's just a Pandora's box of opening so many different things, but pretty much anybody who has had a decent personality in our industry that has done some stuff, revolutionary stuff over the last 25 years, I've had some sort of reverence to. Now with, uh, so now the next question for me, uh, I don't think I've ever really asked it this way to anybody, uh, but you've obviously been around multiple different environments, multiple different shapes and sizes of studios, but for you, you as an individual, you having all this experience, does the glass studio today look a whole lot different than it did, you know, let's say 1995 or does oh, yeah. it, it does. Oh yeah, it looks a lot different. Just the fact of having equipment and like you even brought up the term swamp cooler. I never knew what that was until maybe 20 years ago. And I was like, hey, it's hot in the summertime. Maybe we should do something and put an air conditioner on and air conditioning doesn't work so good. So I've learned about swamp coolers and some studios now are, are nicer than people's houses. Um, but also I learned something a long time ago personally. And this might not be the best for everybody, but I realized that when my friends were running these larger studios, they had a lot of money going through their hands, but they're paying a ton of taxes and paying a lot of employees and stuff like that. And it seemed to me that the people who ran these studios made as much money as they would if there was only their own two hands doing it. And so they helped a lot of people out by running these studios, but it wasn't necessarily monetarily better for them ultimately a couple shops are different i think we talked about that last time that you know everybody makes a little bit of money some people make a lot of money and so you can potentially make a lot of money by making your shop bigger and bigger but it's uh, you have to kind of sell your soul a little bit to make that as big as it is and there are some famous names out there that people hear and talk about but there's also always the backside of those people that you don't really hear about because of how many people they've had to talk to over the years and um you know how many people they've had to deal with and how many families they've had to deal with and stuff like that so for me it's always been easier to be my own person and to not have to rely on a whole studio full of people but also i work in a complex that has several different shops and some of those shops they're very nice there's 15 people in one almost 15 people in one shop but it's hard to keep track of all the people because they come and go and stuff like that and that is a place called the glass ranch and that is a uh, famously run by a guy named cowboy who was pretty famous in the industry and um and his shop they, they just have so much energy going through there all the time and um, people there make pretty good money just also from being in that studio and the influences of what they see around them so i think that might have changed a little bit over the years but i am very old school i'm very stuck in my ways and so it's hard for me to see something new as being the latest greatest best thing i mean for me right now, I guess I'm looking to buy a lathe because I'm getting old and my hands are getting worn out. So, you know, things like that. So I don't know, you know, with exactly in a studio what makes for a better studio or not. But I definitely know the camaraderie and the music <laughs> make for a really good studio. I've seen more arguments over music in my career than anything else ever, pretty much. Which I think it's kind of funny. So present day, like real time, <laughs> real like today. Uh, the studio space, how big is it? How many guys are in there? Um, 
my studio in particular is a thousand square feet and I share it with a gentleman named Mike Philpot and it's just me and him in there and his wife. And so technically I'm one third owner of the, of the studio, but we call it the Philpot studio just so my name doesn't, I, I, it's easier for me to get work done if I don't have people stopping by all the time and bothering me to do stuff. It's just, I don't know. I've just learned to turn my music up and ignore people. But um, yeah, I've been there for, almost eight years now and before then i was i always had a studio in my house and um i yeah i shared the studio and i really liked it and we have a lot of a lot of room to do different stuff in and and i found somebody i could actually get along with so how many uh like bench space for you how many torches you got set up for yourself uh, <laughs> what do you like what is yeah i know you just said that you're you're acquiring a lathe so obviously that answers that question but yeah man how right. do you get to uh in the thousand square feet, you know, that's not a lot of space, but for two to three people, that, that can be a decent space. So do you get to like spread your wings, stretch out? Do you get to, you know, just have your little bubble, I should oh, say? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I have my little section and, um, I do have different torches, but I only have two hands. And so I only use one torch at a time or a bench torch and a hand torch. So, um, over the years I've gone through different torches and different things, but I keep coming back to the torch that I originally started it, or it originally not started with, but the one that I use the most and that is the Carlisle CC. Um, and I actually have one with a water cooler on it and that's what I do most of my work on, but also I have my torches on quick connect so I could just unconnect it very easily and put another torch right in place if I wanted to. And I don't have one of every torch on the market, but I got a handful of torches and I, again, I keep coming back to my uh, tried and true torch, but the style that I do is working with silver and gold and doing fume work um and the carlisle seems to be really friendly to that so instead of trying to relearn things by using different tools i try to stick to ones that seem to be pretty friendly to me so uh, when there's you, always new things so when you get the lathe up and going uh, up and running what uh what are you going to be putting on that i will probably put my uh, gt mirage on that okay um as far as a bench uh, torch, but also I'm probably going to get a cradle burner, and that's something that's very traditional to lathes that a lot of these younger guys don't understand or don't know about. And that is a way of really heating the glass in a very, uh, uh, very easy manner that isn't so haphazard. Um, and there's a, a whole tradition to lathes that goes back to the 30s, as far as I know. So. Um, it's mostly used most of the time. Most people use what they call a cradle burner and hand torches. And so that's kind of the style that I like to use is more the hand torches um, and having something there to heat it up. So I don't think it matters as much what kind of a, uh, 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 bench burner that you have on your uh on your lathe that much it also depends on the size of your lathe some of these torches will melt your lathe into two pieces so you got to be careful not to have something too big <laughs> and um and one thing i've learned over the years too is you really can control the heat quite a bit so you don't need as large of a torch as some people have to be able to control the glass the way you want to there is somebody out there, um, probably the best glass blower, uh, lamp worker I've ever seen named Cesare Toflo. He's from, uh, Italy. Um, he's from Murano and he is amazing. And that guy can spit out, spin out a 14 inch plate on a 40 mil Herbie without a problem. And a 40 mil Herbie isn't the face of it. Isn't even an inch and a half or it's about an inch and a half. And some to, so you could do as long as you know, heat base, you could really do a lot of things with a very little bit of flame. So. 
But I'm assuming that that, you know, that's flame chemistry, that's understanding the chemistry of the materials that you're using. And that's just, you know, as in essence, you know, you're just a master and a wizard of, you know, of the torch and the glass at that point. Right. Yeah, exactly. You get used to the, the medium that you're working with. And so you try to use it to your best advantage. And over the years, I've seen, oh, I, this is probably more of a political thing, but I've seen American consumerism get kind of nuts in the torch world where I got a bigger torch or I got a bigger car, you know, that whole sort of thing. My car is faster than your car. My torch can beat up your torch. And it ends up being the person who's running the torch. It's not the torch itself. And I have, at one time, it was popular for these guys to go out and buy these giant GDD torches is that they never turn the outside fire on. And I'd be like, why do you have it? And they're like, because I can. I'm like, okay, you spend an extra three grand on something that you're not using at all. So it doesn't seem like it's very much worthwhile. But again, that just might be my old, old school <laughs> thinking. There's always there's always going to be a swing and dick contest. Let's just be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, we're very, our, our industry is very male oriented, unfortunately. And so, yes, there always is that aspect. Uh, so let me ask you this, man. You, you've been obviously you've you've been around. You've been kind of probably all over. Truthfully, uh, you know, just playing with glass. On, I'm sure you. Well, let me just. I'll ask you. Have you been overseas like to experiment and make art? No, I haven't. Okay. Um, I, I, me and my wife like to go down to Mexico for vacations and I've been in different parts of Central America and I've talked about branching out and doing glass in other countries, but I haven't had the opportunity yet. And, um, usually I'll wait until somebody invites me somewhere. Um, and it is, our, our community is becoming bigger and bigger. And so I've had friends go over to Spain recently. And at one time I had a lot of friends who went over to Japan and um, those things have always interested me, but I haven't been personally invited to go over and do it. And also Japan kind of scared me a little bit just because Japan is such a cultural difference that I didn't know if I would be able to, um, just didn't know what it would be like. But I've had enough friends go over there now where I think that my fears are a little bit elated as far as that kind of, just, you know, what they have going on over there. And um, yeah, I would be open to working with other countries. That's for sure. I like international travel. So it's just, it'll happen one of these days. So U.S. base, uh, you know, with that, with that basically being said, uh, do you get to collaborate much? And if you don't, has there been a time for you where you did get to collaborate a lot? Um, actually, <laughs> it's kind of funny you say that because I personally would like to collaborate with almost everybody who's been in the glass industry at least once, um, just to say that I've worked with them and just to see how they work and see how their internal workings are. And you learn a lot when you're, when you're doing collabs with other people. But yes, I've done collabs. At one time, I kept a record of everybody I did a collab with, but it got so long that it's got to be probably a hundred people at this point, maybe more. Um, and I'm yeah, I'm willing to do collabs with anybody pretty much at any time, as long as it's something that is done on a friendship, mutual respect type of level and not somebody trying to climb a ladder by working with somebody else. It's more of a way of two glass floors to get together, to enjoy each other's camaraderie than to try to do it for professional reasons. Cause it might not work. You never, you know, you really with glass, you can't really put a value to it until it comes out of the kiln. And so a lot of times when people are like, Oh, I'm going to work with someone, so we're going to do this and we're going to do that. It's like, okay, you've already planned way too far ahead of the time. Why don't you guys get together, do something and then figure that other part out. So I do like to do clubs, but I am a little bit picky about it. With, with the, let's see, let's just fuck man. What about 30 years experience? Let's just be honest. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> quick, quick math on that one. But, uh, 
obviously you being on dead tour you were you know making art putting in a case uh, so to speak and you were selling it on the lot or you know you were actually in the show and you know whether you had it in a backpack or in your pockets you know you were you were just hustling but right. uh you know as things have evolved within the industry obviously ways to sell glass has evolved and i know personally that you know the internet and you know technology with you you know it, it, it does coexist, but you're, you're, you know, you're, you just dabble in it. It's not really your gig. But with that being said, uh, present day, you know, the last, let's just basically say since 2015, 2016, how is your art really getting out there these days compared to how you used to get it out there? Um, well, of course, back in the day, like we were just talking about, I used to run around with a, a, a black pistol case, generally is what they were. Um, they were 20 bucks easy to carry glass in, and we just jump out on a dead lot and open up our cases and have places to sell it. And there's a lot of other people doing similar things. So it wasn't something that you got in a lot of trouble for. And then it, as you got older, it moved to stores. And uh, sometimes stores are really cool. Sometimes they just want to work you. Um, and, and so the internet has really been been a big factor in the last since 2015 let's say and over the pandemic it's really done me quite a bit um, especially instagram where i know a lot of people who just live and die by the instagram now and i always try to suggest people to have different outlets and i still enjoy showing up at a show with a case of glass but most of my sales are done through the mail nowadays um and uh it's uh, just easier to get places all over the country that way instead of trying to physically be there yourself um but i still like to carry a case of glass around and i've had a lot of opportunities in my life by carrying a case of glass around where say you show up at a gas station and someone's like hey what do you do for a living because they're a little too nosy or whatever and you're like well i blow glass they're like oh that's cool and then you're like hey you want to check out a piece and i've I've sold them a snow marble once to a TSA officer because they wanted to see inside my case. Right on, like, wow. <laughs> like, these are really cool. I'm like, hey, you want to give me a little money? Like, sure. So there's always endless possibilities out there. So again, I know a lot of my friends make a lot of money or, you know, deal with Instagram more than anything else. But I think you should always be open for, you know, everything that's, a, that's out there to a certain extent. But again, Instagram is the big winner <laughs> right now. So do you have an actual like dot com website uh people can go to or is it just basically your Instagram? It's my Instagram and it's my Facebook and um and I have a, a, a email and that's about it. And and people try and find me through one of those outlets, basically. Okay, so for everybody who listens to this, uh please do yourself a favor and do Hugh a favor and go check out his Instagram, H U G H dot G L A S S. Uh, I don't know your Facebook, but if you want to plug that now, by all means, please do so. I believe it's the exact same. It's okay. a glass. And also my email is the exact same. It's just a Gmail. So, yeah, I'm pretty much, yeah, my whole uh, business existence is Glass. So um, let me ask you this. Um, like your technique, you know, how would you best describe your technique if you could over the phone without a video and without, you know, actual glass <laughs> in front of us? 
Um, most of my technique um, is, uh, again, I talked about earlier about uh, precious metal fuming, um, which is actually the term that Bob came up. Bob was the first person to actually take a chunk of raw silver or raw gold and stick it on the end of a rod and vaporize it in a torch and trap that vapor onto another piece and then encasing that. And what that does is it makes a color to the glass. It also makes what we call color changing glass. And so I enjoy that because it has one look and then as you use it further and further down, it has another look um and also being very old school i traditionally like to make uh hammer i like to make dry pieces and i like to make hammers side bowls and chillums more than anything else um so i don't get into a lot of the fancy new fangled dabs and equipment and stuff like that a lot of to me that is more fashionable stuff where the pieces i've made um have been popular 20 years ago they should be popular in another 20 years and they're very um very utilitarian. I like to make pieces that people um, put in their pocket or use on a daily basis or what I call a daily driver. I find when people use your pieces like that, they form an attachment to them and then you got a customer for life to a certain extent. And, um, and so that's, yeah, what my style is in kind of a nutshell is I like things that change color. I like shiny stuff and I don't make really large or gaudy things. I like to make things that are highly functional. Right on, man. I, I, I appreciate that because, you know, let's see, 2001 was, you know, when I was basically coming into the culture as far as, a, you know, personal consumption and buying glass. So, yeah, I, I totally dig that. Right. And, and I know it's not always so fashionable. I've actually run into some young kids. They're like, oh, I haven't smoked flour in two years or whatever. You're like, okay, <laughs> that's your style. That's your deal. You know, with our culture nowadays, we have so many different options that, you know, more power to you. But I just, again, kind of be an old school and, you know, what I like to do and what I like to, you know, how I like to be. Yeah, but for, and, um, for somebody like you and even for somebody like me, it, uh, I actually appreciate it because it's like, man, how far has it come compared to what it used to be? And it's just like, you know, you are staying true to you and what you want to make. And, you know, I'm assuming that that's predominantly mainly how you consume. And so you're just staying in your lane where you can still watch the cars go by and you can still respect (laughs) and appreciate it. But you're just staying in your lane. And I, I totally respect that. And I dig that, man. Right, right, definitely. Now, again, I've tried to be true to what I enjoy and try not to bend over backwards for the public um, so much. And it's always done me very well. And I, and like we talked about, I am going to get a lathe soon. And yes, I will make some water pieces, but they'll probably be more in the style that I like and in more of the old school style instead of the newfangled recyclers or any of that kind of crap or whatever, which is fine for everybody who does it. And I definitely appreciate and like the beauty and what people do. It's just not necessarily for me. So now do you, um, so golden fuming obviously is that that's home for you. Do you, do you intermix colors often or not um, too much? Um, actually? Yes, I do use commercial color. I just use it more of an accent instead of a whole thing. Um, uh, partially that comes about because when I started, there was only one company making color in the country and that was North star. And they only had about 30 colors at the time. And out of those 30 colors, only about half of them or not even half of them, probably about a fourth of them were actually worked very well. So they were kind of a pain in the butt to work with. And I enjoyed the color changing aspect and that has gotten lost over the years with so much color there's so many color companies now and there's so much color out there that 
I let other people mess around with that. I do a little bit. Um, also, the lady I work with, Sue Ellen Fowler, she's actually the person who invented the color amber purple in the first place back in uh, the 1970 or late 69. Um, and so I do work with somebody who was one of the founders of our color revolution that we have in glass. And it is a revolution because there hasn't been poor colored borosilicate the way that we have it now ever before in history. And so that is part of our American style of borosilicate lamp work which is interesting because it is the only uh, uh, discipline in glass that has been made here in America, along with jazz or hip hop or things like that. We have actually exported our technology to the rest of the world. Instead of trying to take somebody else's technology from somewhere else in the world and convert it to our own, which is what America is famous for, we actually came up with our own thing. So when I get people who ask me, like, what about different disciplines of glass? I'm like, no, I really like what I'm doing because I know it's very cutting edge and it isn't just reinventing the wheel, which a lot lot of things have been or if you go to the history of like the hot shop they haven't really changed in 400 years and i think that's part of their selling point is they haven't changed in 400 years <laughs> which i don't know whatever it's a positive for them but i like things that are a little bit new and different and it gives me a little bit more purpose for what i do and the color is a big part of people's lives and i deal with that all the time and um yeah right now we're now kind of going backwards a little bit in some of our color technology with these giant bars that north star are making that take forever to pull down and do anything with so and that's been in the hot shop for a long time <laughs> this isn't so do. go ahead yeah, you keep going Oh, no, I just know more about color than I should probably open my mouth about. <laughs> <laughs> I've just seen it over the years. And so I, and I, and I enjoy it, but again, it's more of an accent thing. And also it costs a lot of money. There's colors now that are $200 a pound, um, which are clear glass is $4 roughly a pound. So the difference between clear glass and, um, color can be extreme. And we've often joked in Eugene about kids who make a, a $30 spoon out of $60 worth of color and how that's not a real sustaining uh, career right there, but it looks nice. <laughs> I, I will hundred percent agree with you on that one. And I've seen it, uh, way more than I think that <laughs> than you and I probably want to admit. <laughs> right. Right. So let me ask and, you this, um, this isn't in my notes, sure. but let me ask you this, how, with, with everything that you've kind of said and, you know, sharing your story and all the insights that you have, how does that really make you feel thinking back? You know, I don't know if you really take a whole lot of time to reflect, but you know, if you're taking the time now with me uh, on this chat, how does it make you feel to really sit back and think like, holy shit, man, I, you know, I decided to go out West from Chicago and I was at the forefront of this without maybe even realizing it. And here you are today still involved with the, the same art and yep. the same process. How does it make you feel? It makes me feel really good. I really enjoy it. Um, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And, and, and you're correct. I never planned on this career. I was just the right place at the right time with the right people who influenced me. Um, and so I've just kind of been going along with the ride and the ride has just gotten bigger and badder every year and that much better. And so I've just kind of been, uh, I, I feel really lucky to be in the position that I have been in. And um, I love yeah, like again, I like the people and I like the community that I'm around, and that's why I keep doing it. If I didn't, I'd probably find something else to do. Um, but I, yeah, I feel incredibly uh, lucky, um, and I wouldn't trade it for anything, pretty much. So now the next question is actually in my notes, and it's kind of co go back to colors. But uh, I've asked this, I think, damn near to everybody that I've interviewed so far. But 
If you could pick only three colors to play with out of all the palette that's out there, I'm just curious, what would be your, not necessarily top three, but, you know, the vibe that you're in right now, what would be three colors that, you know, just come into your head that say, you know what, if I was going to be in the studio today and I had these colors at my disposable, uh, these are what I would fuck with. Well, one of them that's uh, uh, recently the uh, color companies have come up uh, with using uh, the element gold to make several different colors. And some of the purples they make are pretty amazing. And there's one called Stargazer from North Star, which I've had a lot of fun with recently. And actually mixing that um, in pattern form in uh, with uh, fuming looks really, really nice. So I really like the Stargazer right now. Um, there's a, a, a white, uh, uh, there's a color company from Asheville, North Carolina, uh, or glass and um they uh, uh they have a white that i think it's called lotus white that is pretty amazing white's a really hard color to work with and their lotus white is amazing and um let's see another color uh, uh um Let's see. I don't know. I have a bunch of it on my bench and I like sparkly colors. So, um, I guess, uh, anything that has a deep sparkle to it. So, okay. Recently I was able to get some tubing that was galaxy, which is, uh, uh, stardust and jet black mixed together. Um, and that's from North star and they encased it in Cymax clear tubing. And that stuff is amazing. It's sparkly and it works very well. Galaxy so, is a good one. Colors. I'm actually happy that you said that. Cause that one is cool. <laughs> Cause at first yeah. when you see it, you're kind of like, uh, you know, it's, it's black. And then like, you literally, and I know you've probably done this where you're looking at it, you know, maybe in a, not a well-lit area. And then you take it right. over to where the sun is gleaming through the window and you, you throw that, that color or that, that piece that you've just made on the sunlight. And you're just like, holy shit, that is way different. And that's badass. Definitely. No, that's how I feel about it. Actually, the deeper you encase it, the more it sparkles. And I don't know, I've always liked uh, black that were, again, white and black are the two hardest colors to work with. Um, and that being a black that's sparkly is really uh, it's something I appreciate. There used to be a color called Optanium back in the day that was kind of like that, but it was made for a very short time and it didn't work very good. So and I know there's something called unobtainium, but they came out around the same time. But that's also glass history that we could talk about some other time. I know that, uh, you know, in this conversation, you said that you didn't really want to name names, but I'm going to ask you this question and I'll let you run with it. Um, the, the individuals that you name, it doesn't have to be anything based on popularity or hype. It's just a general question for you. Who are three artists in the game right now? Um, regardless of age or experience that you think people should be paying more attention to? Ooh, um, uh, there's always new people. And because I'm running these glass games now, I'm always meeting more and more people that do different things. And so, uh, I, and I don't get on social media myself all that much. So I don't see a lot of people's new stuff unless I see it. Yeah, but that's a, it's a good face. question for you because you don't <laughs> get that exposure. So I think that the answer that you give is going to be really genuine. Like it really is going to stand out. Definitely. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd have to say some of the people that I've seen recently, um, just in my own life that make really nice stuff. Um, Terry Sharp is a name that I, I've known him for several years now, and I really respect his artwork quite a bit. And I'm not sure how much attention he gets, but he's a great art glass blower and he does amazing stuff. Highly um, underrated. I've had him on the show. He's a great dude. Okay, nice. Yeah, I've always liked him quite a bit. Um, and uh, oh, I'm so horrible. 
terrible with names. Um, <laughs> At least you were uh, a school teacher, man. <laughs> definitely, exactly. Um, and I guess there's been people over the years who make amazing glass that I've actually questioned how it was actually done. Um, and also people that I, you know, that I enjoy, uh, dealing with but also personally they are big names that do other stuff like uh scott depp is another one he does amazing work um but he knows it <laughs> and so and that's just it about naming names there are so many people out there that just do amazing stuff that i don't even know where i would start on the list but i guess that just named two people right there um oh i don't know um uh, yeah I, I, like i said I, I i enjoy a lot of different things um well i'll, yeah, I'll, I'll say I'll, I'll rescue you and i'll say your shop mate he's uh highly underrated <laughs> yes. he's a he's a very nice guy he's a character but he's he's a really talented artist so uh mike philpot yeah. I'll, I'll save you and I'll, I'll throw that out there <laughs> yes no mike takes a takes a lot of pride and takes a lot of time making his work and people should be pretty honored to get his work because he puts so much energy into his glass that I know a lot of people who don't feel the same way about glass that he does. He puts a unburning passion to the point where when he sees something wrong with his glass, it's something you would never see, something you would never know. Um, okay, going back to names, I just remembered somebody that should definitely get a shout yeah, out. Yeah, good deal. Know, is <laughs> John Kabuki. Um, he's been a major influence in marbles in my life and a good friend of mine. And he does amazing work, very meticulous. Um, he does work that other people can't necessarily do because of his way that he does stuff. Or if we're going that route, also, there's a Japanese gentleman uh, uh, who goes by Rose Rhodes. His stuff is amazing. Um, and uh, so, I don't know. I guess I could, uh, yeah, we could probably do a whole program on who I think is cool <laughs> and who people should probably look at and stuff like that. I just haven't had that jotted down yet, but it would probably take me a little bit to make some notes on that. All good. All good. Well, uh, it's the last official question that I have for you today, my friend. Uh, what is one piece of advice that you would give to an individual, whether they're six months in, six days in, you know, six hours in, but what's one piece of advice you would give to uh, the young novice out there today? If you're having fun, keep doing it. Um, life should be about having fun. Um, and glass hopefully is a influence on how you're having fun. And it's not a, a, a quick race. It's a marathon if you really want to do it. Um, and so keep with it and make sure you're having fun. When you're not having fun, try something different um, because life is about having fun. Well, my How's friend, that? yeah, no, that's great, man. And uh, for me to you, uh, thank you for all that you do, man. Thank you for uh, the conversation that we had last week about the events that you are, you know, coordinating and the director of, which is the Champs Glass Games. Thank you for that. Right. And thank you, uh, yeah, man, thank you for sacrificing, committing your life to this, uh, this passion that you have. And, you know, it's a <laughs> passion of mine and it's something that uh, I think you would probably agree it's it is hard to explain to people you know why why you have a passion and why you've kind of dedicated your life to glass but it uh man it's, yeah, i like it, to tell people I, I like to tell people i'm a lifer and you know in the glass world and i don't know if that makes me smart or stupid but i consider myself a lifer and i think i always will be well i mean you're, you're 51 what <laughs> i'm not gonna i'm not gonna <laughs> throw you under the bus but it's kind of like well what else are you gonna do now man <laughs> Definitely.
Well, everybody, uh, Glass Chat, episode 142, Hugh Glass. That's a wrap. Thank you again, my friend. I really do appreciate it. Hopefully you have a wonderful day. And uh, from me to you, I hope that we get to cross paths one day and I get to shake your hand. Oh, most definitely. I'm sure we will. All right, buddy. Take it easy. Okay. Definitely. You too. See ya. Hey, what's up? Before you go, uh, again, I just, I've been saying thank you at the end of every one of these episodes, I think, since I've started. Uh, so I don't think I'm going to stop now. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Glass Chat. Thank you for supporting independent made glass art and for all the DMs and all the messages and even the people that, you know, know me and that come up to me at events. It really, really does mean a lot. Thank you so much. And I wish you guys nothing but love and just good things. Take it easy. Take care of yourself. Be well. Be kind to each other.